right, if you can turn to the end of John 18, we're going to read into chapter 19. Ethan's excited about it. All right, we're going to pick up in verse 38 and with the second part of that. Uh, Pilate, of course, had just said to Jesus, what is truth? After he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him and saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you so that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man! When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at the place called the Stone Pavement and an Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king! They cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So they delivered him over to them to be crucified. Let's pray. Father, we recognize that at times we can be cold to this message. It seems sort of old hat, yesterday's news. We've been there, we've done that, heard it all. We can forget just how vital it is 
to our fellowship with you each and every day. And so I ask that you would give us uh, fresh eyes and ears uh, to witness these events as well as your explanation of them. Grant us amazement that you have loved us in this way through the Son. And we ask this in his name. Amen. This summer, while we were on vacation, Amy and I decided we were going to uh, watch a documentary that had been released on Netflix, and uh, it was called The Making of a Murderer. And some of you may have watched that. It's a very compelling sort of thing. It's, it's a documentary, so you know you're getting one side, you're not necessarily getting the other side. And so, uh, there, in a sense, there may be a verdict that is out, but it is a story of a man who was unjustly uh, imprisoned for a crime he did not commit. And then years later, the DNA evidence may, you know, got him released. They went back and checked, and indeed, he'd been telling the truth the whole time. It was a few years later, while he was in the process of suing the county and the DA that had put him away unjustly, that there was a murder in that community. And the documentary is, takes the perspective that there was, as a result of uh, bitterness of heart and this lawsuit, an unjust means of framing this man for a murder he didn't commit. I will not say whether or not he's guilty. I don't know. But in this case, it points me and reminds me of this particular scenario we have in the life of Jesus where he is being made out to be something he is not. He is not a rebel. He is not a blasphemer. And yet that is what exactly what they are trying to make him to be. A rebel and a blasphemer. The big idea this morning is that Jesus, God's Lamb, is a rejected and condemned substitute for sinners. Let's start with the king of Jews was rejected for a rebel. Throughout this uh, whole series of events, let's remember what we talked about last week of how the, the Jews did not want to enter into the praetorium precisely because they wanted to be ceremonially clean to partake of the Passover feast. And so all of this time, they're outside, Jesus is inside, because what, who cares what happens to him? And if Pilate is going back and forth initially until he drags Jesus out to inter interrogate Jesus and then to go back and talk to the Jews. And it's sort of a, a physical representation of the vacillating heart of Pilate himself. Because he's a torn man. He wants to set Jesus free, but on the other hand, he doesn't want to make more enemies. And so he's emotionally going back and forth like a double-minded man. We see him weak, vacillating. And yet, amazingly, three times he says in various ways, I find no guilt or cause in him. He declares three times that Jesus is essentially the unblemished Lamb of God, and we need to keep that in mind. 
that idea of this unblemished lamb. Remember, at the beginning of this gospel, John proclaims, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And there's only one way in which He can do that. He must be an unblemished lamb in keeping with the sacrifices. And here we have the testimony of Pilate who interrogates Jesus three times. He is unblemished. As R.C. Sproul notes, he saw no fault in Jesus because there was no fault in Jesus. Years later, Peter would write about this and remind the people that he was uh, writing this letter, this first letter to, that they were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or without spot. The sinless lamb of God has been dragged up before Pilate. In all of this, he still seeks, Pilate seeks, to convince the Jews to allow him to let Jesus go. And even as he does this, there's sort of an increase in unjust punishment. Initially, you know, it's like, no, don't let him go. Well, I'll beat him first. Has he suffered enough to, to appease you, essentially, is what's going on. He's trying to appease them with as little as possible. He does not want to inflict crucifixion upon this man. In fact, as we saw from the uh, parallel reading in Matthew, his wife wants him to have nothing to do with this righteous man. And so, he speaks of this Passover custom that there would be one prisoner who would be released in celebration of the Passover. And in fact, it's almost like a living representation of the Passover. Okay? Because what happened in the Passover? The lamb suffered for the family. It was all about substitution. The, the, the destroyer was going to come through the land of Egypt and the firstborn of every family was going to be killed. And so the lamb took the place of the firstborn in each family. So here we have Jesus the lamb is being presented to the people. Do you want to keep the lamb? And they say, no. We want someone else. He offers them the king of the Jews. He, he presses, he doesn't name Jesus. He says, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews, your king? He's really selling this, isn't he? And they don't want their king. They want Barabbas. Barabbas. It's interesting because here in John's gospel, uh, in John is very, there's a lot of irony in John's gospel, and there's a lot of irony in this particular chapter because Barabbas is here described rather innocently, so to speak, or mildly is a better term, as a robber. Which brings us back to chapter 10. It's the same word that's used in opposition to the Good Shepherd. Jesus declaring Himself to be the Good Shepherd, and those who go around the door are the robbers. And so here we see Jesus, the true King of the Jews, is, going, is set in opposition and in conflict to a robber. One who seeks to steal the hearts of God's people. But He's not just a robber. 
according to Matthew and Luke, we see here. Mark 15, And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. Luke goes even further and saying, Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection, started in the city and for murder. And so Barabbas was not merely a robber. He was a rebel who led an insurrection that resulted in murder. He was a nefarious dude. Bad man. Okay? Now think of this. It's hard for us to kind of really picture this. You're an oppressed people. Okay, there's a foreign government who's ruling over you. Here's a man that has led an insurrection that, if successful, would not necessarily mean you'd be free. It just means there'd be more soldiers stomping on your heads. And then there's Jesus, who has taught among you for three years, who has healed many of your people, and you have the choice, which of these two men should go free? Let's take Barabbas. Let's take the terrorist. Let's take the anarchist over Jesus. That's what's happened. It's sort of almost like being in Afghanistan and watching them set a Taliban leader free knowing that he will just go and do more damage and destruction to the nation. But again, the Passover was built on substitution. And so the Lamb takes the place, the real Lamb of God takes the place of this man for God's wrath. Pilate, not giving up yet, decides that he will have Jesus flogged. Now, this is confusing. When you look at the harmonies of the Gospels, um, he puts it before the condemnation of Jesus, and uh, the other authors have it after the condemnation of Jesus. And what's probably going on here is the Romans had three different levels of flogging. And so if you were a rather innocuous criminal, you'd get a very rather mild flogging. You still wouldn't appreciate it. It would hurt. It would be very uncomfortable, would, but you'd live. There was sort of the intermediate kind, and then there was the kind of flogging you got when you were a, con a condemned criminal. And that was one that was intended to make your time on the cross that much shorter because it utterly destroyed you and devastated you. It was a merciless beating that would rip the flesh off your back. And so I think what's happening here in this text is Jesus is receiving the mildest form of flogging initially here in John's Gospel before he's presented back to the people. And the, when the other Gospel writers talk about Jesus being flogged, it's after his condemnation, and it's the most severe one so that he's barely able to make it to the cross. But as I said, it still wasn't a pleasant sort of thing. We read about it here that they're mocking him. Not only have they beaten him, but now as they, they come up before him and they say, 
Hail, king of the Jews, and then throw a haymaker at him. So they're beating him. They're insulting him. They're spitting upon him. They take uh, uh, some thorn branches and wrap them and weave them into a a crown, stick it on his head in mockery. They take one of their purple capes, drape it around his soldiers, and say, Oh, king of the Jews, what a lowly king are you, essentially. What a worthless kind of king are you. Beat him and mock him. And so Pilate drags him out. Bruised, bloody, wearing the fake mockery clothes of a king, and declares to the crowd, Behold the man! Sensibly saying, You want this worthless, defenseless man to be crucified? He's not worthy of the wood! in a sense. But here we see the priests and the officers of the Jewish court leading a chant, crucify, 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 as they continue to apply pressure to Caesar. Uh, Not Caesar, uh, Pilate, obviously. And he gives them one last chance. Shall I crucify your king? Again, this idea of it's the king. Your king. Shouldn't you love your king? Shouldn't you protect your king? Shouldn't you serve your king? To which they reply, We have no king but Caesar. They want no part of him. They want no part of the son of David. They want no part of the Son of God. What's going on? Well, we know that in Samuel's day, from 1 Samuel chapter 8, that they were rejecting not Samuel's leadership, but but God says they are rejecting me as their king. And so the whole idea of the Jewish kingship was that The Lord their God was supposed to be their king, and any king they had was supposed to be a vassal to the Lord. But they wanted a king like the nations. They were rejecting God as their king, even as they acknowledged that the reason was the disobedience and unrighteousness of Samuel's sons. How's that for irony, huh? We see as well in Psalm 10, the Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. Psalm 95, the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. And so what's going on is they are essentially committing apostasy. They're saying, we want Caesar as our king. Think about that for a second. Caesar, the tyrant, that's who they want to be their king. Not someone like Jesus. And so the true king of Israel, the true son of David, was rejected in the place of a rebel, an insurrectionist. This reveals more about Jesus, though. 
It also reveals that the Son of God was condemned by blasphemers. So he talked within this larger back and forth about the king of, king of the Jews. There is a, a subject shift for a brief period of time. And so we see this taking place when Pilate is exasperated because they're crying, crucify him. And he replies, take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The third time he says this. He's in a sense mocking him, mocking them rather. In other words, he doesn't want to be their puppet. He doesn't want to do their dirty business. Okay? If they want him dead so badly, why don't they do it? Is essentially what he's saying to them. And their response to him, to Pilate is, we have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die. Because he has made himself the son of God. And so now they have a new charge. It's one that normally, you know, Pilate would not be concerned about, although he would make sure that the, the basic laws of the land would be uh, enforced as well. But this idea of blasphemy is not one that he generally concerned himself with. In Leviticus 24, verse 16, it says, Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him. The sojourner as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. And one of the things that we see in the parallel accounts in the Synoptic Gospels is that they thought that Jesus was guilty of blasphemy, of declaring himself to be God when he wasn't God. Okay? To speak lies about God. That is the essence of blasphemy. To speak poorly of God or to use his name in an improper sort of way. And so they're saying that Jesus has done this. What they're ignoring, of course, is that in Psalm 2, verse 7, the king was called the Son of God. He was an adopted Son of God. But this statement of Jesus goes much further than this. Their characterization goes much further of this. It alludes to his earlier comments, perhaps in John 8, as well as those coming in his trial about coming on the clouds of judgment. They see Jesus as viewing himself not as simply an heir to the king of da- the throne of David, but as one who has made himself equal with God. They saw it even if liberal scholars can't see it. There he is. They they recognize his claim to divinity, and for it they want him put to death. He is the eternal Son of God who has become flesh and blood, and they want to destroy it, destroy him. And in the midst of this, we have this strange little dialogue with him and Jesus, Pilate and Jesus. Where Jesus Pilate is astounded that Jesus is not raising a stink. <laughs> he's not pleading for his life. He's not, he's not arguing with him. 
And Paul, don't you understand what's going on here? Don't you understand that I have power over you? That I have the authority to kill you? And he says something that is in some ways slightly cryptic, at least to the ears of Pilate, and says that you have no authority except that which has been given to you from above. Or to echo Romans 13, there is no pop, there's no authority that has not been given by God. There's no ruler who has not been instituted and placed in power except by the hand of God. You're only there, Pilate, because my Father put you there. But he also says, He who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Pilate's going to sin. Okay, But Caiaphas, the chief priest who handed him over to Pilate to do this work, has a greater sin because he is sinning against a greater light. He is also doing this out of animus, whereas Pilate is kind of doing it more out of um, saving his skin, shall we say. It's not as malicious of an act. But we see here this tension again between God's sovereignty and human responsibility. Jesus was handed over according to the foreknowledge of God into the hands of worthless and wicked men, but they're still guilty. We see what going on here is a reflection of what happened to Joseph and, and Joseph's response to his brothers that as far as you, you meant evil against me, just like Pilate and Caiaphas did, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. God's purpose in the death of Jesus is to save many. Caiaphas' purpose, he thinks, is to save many but it's really to save himself and his power and his glory. They were accusing Jesus of blasphemy, of speaking God's name in vain or speaking God's name in, uh, falsely. And here's the interesting rub, and more of the irony that's in John's Gospel. Who's going to be set free? Barabbas. What does Barabbas mean in Aramaic? Son of the Father. His first name, according to tradition, was Jesus. Joshua. Joshua Barabbas. is going to be set free so that Jesus, the true Son of God, will be killed. And so Barabbas is not just an insurrectionist. In many ways, he's a false messiah. Because I don't think his father's name was Father. That's usually what, you know, like we see blind Bartimaeus. Okay? Well, that's not his name. He was the son of Timaeus. Okay? His father's name was Timaeus. And so I don't think his, this guy's name, his father, this guy's father's name was Abba. 
Barabbas. But it was a name he gave to himself because he was a false prophet and a false messiah trying to lead a false rebellion against Rome. And so we see, as as Ryle notes, Barabbas, the real criminal, is acquitted and let go free. Jesus, innocent and guiltless, is condemned and sentenced to death. So it is in the salvation of our souls. We're guilty. We're the real criminals. But we're, we're acquitted because of Him who was condemned and sentenced for us. And so the true Son of God took the place of the fake Son of God. The true blasphemer was set free. And the one falsely accused of blasphemy was condemned. So we see that Jesus, the Son of God, who was confirmed by miracles, was condemned as a blasphemer. So what does this all mean? It means rebels and blasphemers, Christ has died for you. As we've noted, this takes place during the Passover. Jesus is the Paschal Lamb, according to Paul. This is about substitution. Jesus, the Lamb, is going to bear the sins of other people. That's what takes place. In other words, think of it this way. Jesus was beaten for us. Jesus had them turn their faces away from Him for us. Jesus was bruised for us. This is a fulfillment of what we see in Isaiah 53 that leads up to his death but includes all of these other things. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. They turned their faces from him. It says when they particularly when they when Pilate presents him bruised and battered, they turned away. From him. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. This is the beginning of the fulfillment of Isaiah 53. But again, it's not for his sins, not for his transgressions, our sins, our transgressions, our rebellion, our blasphemy. That's why he suffered. So, if you're one of these people who, well, has already made the transition, you've got faith in Christ, but you know, we recognize we're not perfect yet. We still rebel. Where do we go when we rebel? Where do you go when you rebel? Remember, go to Jesus. Because he died for rebels like you. You do not have to banish yourself. You do not have to punish yourself. But you have to go to him. I thought of uh, Scarlet Letter and Hester Prynne. 
And there's a sense in which uh, she's got the community punishment. She's got to wear the red letter, okay, the A, that tells everyone what she has done, but she's also got a self-imposed sort of banishment because she hides on the edge of town where no one can find her. And so many people, when they're guilty of something, instead of going to Jesus and finding forgiveness, they hide on the edge of town, on the fringe of church. They become less involved. Increasingly getting farther and farther because they sense the guilt. But instead of going to Jesus, they keep it to themselves. Because they sort of doubt in the free grace of God. They, they think they've used up the forgiveness of God. As though it could somehow be used up. It can't. It can't. We see that Jesus, the true Son, died as a blasphemer. He died to make us adopted Sons of the living God. And so, uh, when we speak hardly about God, when we speak inappropriately about God, or harshly about God, we have to go to Jesus, who died for blasphemers. And we do do that. What happens when we suffer? we usually blame God. We impugn the character of God when we suffer. We forget or put out of our minds the goodness of God when we suffer. We think of Him in other ways that are very harsh and mean. It's blasphemy against God. Because we're attributing to Him a character and a nature He does not possess. We lie about Him. But it doesn't mean you have to run away. It means you have to draw closer. Because Christ has paid the penalty for our blasphemy even as Christians. He's done it. We see this amazing thing take place 2 Corinthians 5 talks about how for our sake He, God, made Him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. So that in Him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. He bore our sin so that we can have pardon. And He bore our sin so that we can become righteousness. Become righteous, rather. I'm having a tongue-tied kind of morning. There is grace, abundant and free, even after we're a Christian. It's not, we're saved by grace, and then you have three strikes and you're out. We're always saved by grace. We need to reckon with the love of God. 
For that is what drove the sacrifice of Jesus. 1 John 4, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation or atoning sacrifice for our sins. And so when we're experiencing the hardness of life, I think we need to go back to the cross to be reminded of the love that was poured out for us there. That He has propitiated our sins. He's not angry with us. He's a loving Father. Doesn't mean not all we do is right and good and He approves of everything we do. But He's now our Father. And He loves His children deeply. So that we can be there with John Newton who at the end of his life could barely remember anything. But he said, I remember two things. And if these are the only two things you ever remember, these are the two most important things to remember, brothers and sisters. He said, I remember two things, that I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great Savior. Too often we're so busy with other people's sins against us that we forget We are great sinners. And we forget how much we need the grace of God each day. Yeah, there's all kinds of bad sinners on TV. There's all kinds of bad sinners in your neighborhood or at the workplace or anywhere else you can think of. But when you look in the mirror, you have to remember Jesus Christ came to save sinners of whom I am the worst. He's a great Savior. So go to Him. Remember this phrase, Christ dead for me. He has paid the penalty. Well, Manapauk County in Wisconsin may have made a murderer of a man they thought got away with a crime before. A great injustice may have been done. We're not sure. But we know in this case, an incredible injustice was done The Jewish leaders wanted Jesus dead. Jesus did nothing deserving death. And Pilate, well, they wouldn't let him set Jesus free, even though he could find no guilt or fault in him. And so they chose a blasphemous insurrectionist, a rebellious murderer, to be freed instead of Jesus. Jesus literally took Barabbas' place upon the cross. And spiritually, he also took our place upon the cross. For he died as a rebel. He died as a blasphemer in our place because we are rebels and we are blasphemers. But he did this so that we can return to the Father, that we can enjoy his love. And so... When we feel guilty, there's no need to hide from God like Adam and Eve. You know, get out from behind the bushes. Because Jesus has made peace for us with God that no sin of yours can destroy. 
That's good news. Brothers and sisters, let's pray. Father, forgive me for being unable to do this justice. This incredible outpouring of your love in the destruction of your Son. It's hard for us to really wrap our minds around it. But I ask that your Holy Spirit would be at work, not just so that our minds are wrapped around it, but that our hearts are wrapped around it. That we would, with increasing measure, be able to say with Paul uh, that I died with Christ. I was crucified with Him, and the life I live in the body I now live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. That that would be our heartbeat in increasing measure. That would be the, the words of praise and adoration that fill our mouths because it's filling our hearts. And that, change, that filling our hearts, it would change our lives. How we interact with other people. How we interact with you. How we interact with ourselves. That incredible mystery of Christ, the Lamb of God, taking the sin of us. Father, press it deep in our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.